0: Hi, Liz Winstead, co-creator of The Daily Show and founder of Abortion Access Front, or as we call it, Abortion AF. Abortion AF is a nonprofit created by activists, organizers, and a variety of showbiz types who want to use our talents and platforms to raise awareness to the erosion of abortion access and create programs that help us reclaim this fundamental right. We help connect local abortion providers and activists with their community so folks can learn how to help clinics stay open, patients access care, and reverse the current decimation of bodily autonomy. We also get into good trouble, exposing the lies of the anti-abortion movement, at their churches, their rallies, and their religious-based fake abortion clinics where creepy people doing some sort of medical cosplay demonize folks seeking abortion care instead of providing it. Oh yeah, and our weekly podcast, Feminist Buzzkills Live, we use facts and humor to wade through the ever-changing news in this hellscape. To learn more or to make a donation, visit aafront.org. Exposing sexist ass clowns has never been more rewarding. Weibo TV is coming for a live studio audience being held guest so well.
1: Greg, thank you so much for joining me today on Weibo TV. Would you be so kind as to take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us what you're working on? Sure. Uh, My name is
2: Greg Spirit-Ellis. I am uh, an entrepreneur in the media space. I've built a couple of companies, um, and the one I'm working on right now is called StoryBots. It's a company we started uh, back in 2011 with my brother Evan, Uh, self-financed the show, started on YouTube, uh, produced three seasons uh, of the show that we licensed to Netflix, and in 2019, Netflix bought our company, And now my brother and I are producers there, and we are producing a big boatload of StoryBots content that's about to release at the end of November in 190 countries, 35 languages. Lots of celebrities and um, lots of fun.
1: I was going to ask you, I saw saw, uh, the headline from the Pando Daily article, and what's it like having a boss?
2: Oh, yes. Yes. well, you know, I, I fantasized about it because I was an entrepreneur for 20 years, and I was just like, can someone please tell me what to do? I just want to wake up and, like, have someone else go, you know, that's the direction we're going, go. Um, but then it actually happened. You're like, you know, not having a boss isn't so bad, but I, I'm, I'm kidding. It's uh, it's great. It's great. We love producing there, and the reach is just absolutely incredible.
0: For
1: sure. How did this all, all start for you? Because I, I think most people might – might know Jib Jab, and then like if you have children, then you, then you would definitely know Storybots. So you've kind of touched both ends of like if you're a Gen X, they know you for one thing, and kids know you for another. So <laughs> tell us a little bit about how that got started for you. Totally. Well, my background originally
2: was in investment banking, so I worked at Goldman Sachs, Bear Stearns, did my Wharton, my MBA at Wharton. Uh, And while I was at Wharton, my brother was an artist. And it was 1999, and I was just fascinated by Flash and the ability to stream over a telephone wire back then. You could stream full motion, full color cartoons with audio. My brother was an animator. So, you know, what we started doing was my second year of business school. We started making cartoons together and distributing them on this newfangled thing called the interweb. And uh, the next thing I knew, I was walking away from banking, started jib jab with my brother. We ran that for about 18 years and lots of different iterations, building on lots of different distribution platforms, ultimately building a subscription business there with a heavy emphasis on personalization. So we did something called Elf Yourself, and the Jib cards relied on uh, personalization. But in 2011, my brother and I had kids, and we were... Shocked that there was nothing we wanted to sit down on the couch and watch with our kids. And while you had great movies, Pixar and DreamWorks making movies that entertained the parents as well as the kids, on television there was nothing. And So my brother and I, you know, having produced for the internet, said YouTube is a massive distribution platform for kids' content. What if we start a property on YouTube, scale it up, produce a series, and our bet because this was 2011, Netflix wasn't producing original content. The bet we made that was was that the streamers were going to get into original programming, and so we self financed uh, the first season of Storybots um, on spec. Spent multiple millions of dollars producing a series of television, doing the thing you're never supposed to do in Hollywood, which is spend your own money on content. We did it, but we had we, we had a, we had a thesis, and uh, yeah, it worked out. We wound up uh, licensing. Netflix three seasons of the show where we owned all of the IP, all of the characters, uh, all the content, and then in 2019 they really wanted to make it their uh, crown jewel kids franchise, and so they bought the company. and Now we're producing for Netflix.
1: Yeah, you know, you're the second person that, I, that I've met that is self financed uh, as basically a season of TV in order to yeah. then get onto another outlet. Can you just walk us through a little bit of? How you did it, and what was what was the mindset behind? It. Like, so you had the hypothesis, right? Like that, that this would work, and someone would pick it up. Yeah. But what was what was the mechanics of that like? Um, the mechanics were interesting because so my brother and I uh,
2: were fortunate and had a lot of success with short form content. So even before YouTube, Jib Jab, we were producing short-form political satires that were being distributed globally, right? And so we had this incredible uh, track record in two minutes or less, which I guess nowadays is long form, but, you know, <laughs> two, yeah. minutes, two minutes or less. And so it was a real challenge. We had to figure out how do we t- take our sensibility and our storytelling style and extend it out to 22 minutes. And so we work in animatics. So, uh, you know... I'll write something, and then we'll sit down in front of, um, you know, an editing software. My brother will draw, and we'll just start to time it out, and we'll start to really feel, um, you know, does the story hold together? How's the pacing? Where are the gag moments? But we very much um, write and board at the same time, so for us... We just focused on that animatic, which is really cheap. I mean, it's if you've got the editing skills and the writing skills, you know, we do the VO. It's very inexpensive to create an animatic of a 22-minute show. And so that's where we put all of our emphasis um, before you produce any art. Well, we were doing character design, and we had that from the YouTube um, shorts uh, content that we produce. But, you know, for the most part, it's very much board-driven, animatic-driven, and music-driven. One of the things we always do when we're making our animatics is we find the music for the scene and we pull that in and we time our storytelling to, to to the music, which really helps us when we're trying to kind of figure out pacing.
3: Tired of being tracked online? DuckDuckGo can help. Tracking is a comprehensive program. Trackers lurk nearly everywhere online from websites, emails, and even apps in your phone. That means you need a multi-pronged solution. DuckDuckGo's all-in-one privacy app can be used as an everyday browser with private search, tracking, blocking, encryption, and now email protection built in. It's the free, easy button for online privacy. Download the app today. DuckDuckGo. Privacy simplified.
4: i'm mike reese i've been writing for the simpsons for 30 years but in my spare time i travel i've been to iran iraq the north pole the south pole chernobyl these are my vacations folks i've even been to north korea that's the scary korea it's all in my new travel podcast on the believe network called what am i doing here it's fast, it's funny, and it's factual enough. You'll hear how I was robbed in Rio, kidnapped in Honduras, dangled from a cliff in Pakistan, and chased by a lady with a meat cleaver again in Honduras. I had a lot of problems in Honduras. Each week I visit all the world's hotspots and hellholes, so you don't have to. You're welcome download and subscribe to what am I doing here, wherever you get your podcasts.
1: where did you, what did you lead on? Like what resources did you look into in terms of getting better and sharper at storytelling over 22 minutes as opposed to like two minutes?
2: Yeah, we had a, so at the time, um, overbrook entertainment, which is Will Smith's production company was an investor and his partner, James Lasseter, was on our board, and so we really leaned on James, who had done a lot of television production, to, we'd review the animatics, we'd bring in our animatics with our terrible scratch tracks into the boardroom, and we'd get feedback, and we'd, you know, on everything from the theme song, to the pacing, to the characters, and then we we're also lucky enough to have John Landis, the famous uh, movie director, as a advisor to the company as well, John helped us think through our storytelling a bunch as well. But it was very much just trial and error and, and killing your babies, right? Like, right. oh, boy, that sequence is really funny. But you know what? It's not fitting in the it, – it's not helping the overall uh, piece, so, you know, we have to kill it.
1: Yeah, Tell me, do you, is there an instance that comes to mind where you had that, where you had something that you really liked but you, but you found that it, it just wasn't resonating and you had to let it go? Oh, I mean,
2: it happens all the time. Uh, you know, the, the best gags. Oh, usually gags, because, um, you know, usually gags get sacrificed for the pacing of the, of the broader story. Uh, it's, a, it's rare we we'll lose a whole sequence or anything. But, yeah, we've killed so many gags that we've loved, and it's always painful, but, you know, you, you kind of feel proud of yourself after you've done it. You're like, I sacrificed for the, for the you know, broader good of this piece.
1: Uh, let me ask you, Like, I'm sure that the answer is like numerous things, but what, what's something that's really surprised you from producing for YouTube versus producing for Netflix?
2: That's a great question. Um, there are really three uh, stages, I would say. First was us producing for YouTube, which is pretty much like the bread and butter that Production that we've done for Jib Jam for so many years. It was all music-driven, short form. My brother is a is a brilliant artist, and he's got this uh, 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 army of brilliant artists um, who who support him. um, um, And uh, so, anyway, so he uh, so so you know all multimedia, so two D, three D puppets, live action. Uh, We've been doing all of it forever, so that wasn't that hard. Then we started producing um, independently the 22-minute shows. That was a little bit more challenging, but still something where we controlled very gorilla. We knew how to do it. It was just basically extending timelines. Then once you get into a Netflix, a much broad, you know, much um, a much uh, you know more established uh, distributor. Now you're dealing with like a much bigger production organization. You're dealing with the unions. You're dealing with a lot of the components that when we were a smaller independent studio, we didn't have to deal with.
1: Right. Yeah. And, and so tell me, what was it like as an independent operator uh, bringing in guests like David Cross? Like, what was that experience like?
2: Yeah, well, we were fortunate. We had a, an amazing casting director who's got incredible relationships. And so, you know, we would... We would we would write the roles, um, we'd write the roles as generically as we can, as we could, and then once we got the talent assigned, we're like, okay, how would David Cross deliver this line? <laughs> um, so, but it was, it was wild, it was really wild, and you know, my brother directs, so he was working primarily with the talent, and they're very fast shoots, and they're done on green screen, most of them. Um... Back when we did the first few seasons, we were doing a lot more uh, interaction with props. But, yeah, but my brother just gets him on, and, and uh, and you know, we feed him the lines, and we get our takes. But for the most part, they're short appearances, and we're able to get them pretty quickly.
1: Yeah, no, it's awesome. You know, the thing about Storybots that, that resonates with me is it reminds me of early Sesame Street, Right where they were still sort of figuring it out, and they were a little more loose in terms of the things that they were willing to try and experiment. with sure, uh, yeah. Before, before it, you know, as it grew into a bigger entity, those things sure. went away. Uh, is that what was an influence for you for Storybots? Was it some? Were you thinking something like a Sesame Street? What was like, most definitely? I would say you know, from the business side, it was the the
2: vision was Sesame Street for a new generation. taking you know, which was amazing entertainment for parents as well as kids. And I think in the in the 30 years since that, you know, or at that point, 30 years since uh, Sesame Street was launched, you know, everything was Disney and Nickelodeon. I think, you know, innovation and experimentation and taking risks all went out the window. And so for us, the exciting thing was it's a new world. There are new distribution platforms. We're in total creative control of what we're doing, Um Let's take advantage of that moment and 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 take some creative risks. But most definitely on the business side and the brand side, it was to create a modern day Sesame Street. And on the uh, on the creative side, most definitely, my brother is a. You know, huge Jim Henson. Event. I am as well, but he's the next level. And uh, you know, and we actually even work with Frank Oz, who's showing up in this next season doing some voices. So it's very uh, and John Landis, who's also involved with Henson uh, as well. So we've got some ties there. We're, we're you know any comparison to that work is uh, is is humbling.
3: This is Rosie Tran from Rosie and BJ Save the World, a podcast asking big questions and discussing how to solve these big issues. This is a podcast for people just like you who ask, has the war on drugs been successful? Do we need universal basic income? Should we legalize sex work? Go to rosieandbjsavetheworld.com to get more
5: confused. Do you want to grow your audience without sacrificing your privacy? Then the Stupid Sexy Privacy miniseries is just for you. It's a short, special presentation that will run every Thursday morning, right here on Weiwo.tv for the next 23 weeks. In each short episode we'll teach you how to preserve as much of your privacy as possible while still participating in the creator economy. You'll also hear from top privacy and disinformation experts who will teach you how to protect yourself from fascists and weirdos. And who doesn't want that? So make sure you're subscribed to Weiwo.tv where all podcasts can be found and we'll see you every Thursday morning for a special presentation of Stupid Sexy Privacy, a mini miniseries.
1: Uh, let me ask you, like, your brother and yourself have been very good at, like, jumping from platform to platform and sort of innovating very quickly. And I'm curious if it's... Is it just a natural curiosity or are you actively like looking at these different platforms as they bubble up?
2: Oh, it's a hundred percent. Like everything we've ever created is always inspired by a new technology. So it's always what kind of story, look look at what's happening in the world and what kind of stories can we tell using that technology? And then how can we leverage that technology for distribution? That's always been the key. So, you know, Jim, Jab was, born out of our fascination with the fact that you could do vector animation, which is mathematical calculations on Flash being pumped over a 56K phone line. And that's how we started. And everything from that point was always tied into a technology or distribution trend. So JibJab, Elf Yourself, the personalization stuff was Facebook platform. You know, in the early days, we were distributing on email, Facebook feed. Access to friends' photos, so you could put them into videos. Um, you know that was a big part of it. And then with Netflix, it was really under you know understanding or seeing the trend that these platforms were growing and we're going to need original content. And so while. There was a gatekeeper in that case, whereas, you know, on the pure on kind of web one and web two, there were never any gatekeepers. It was all driven by the quality of the work we were doing and how smart we were about setting it up to be distributed. Um, you know, Netflix was a gatekeeper, but on the other hand, you know, we saw the trend that they were gonna need programming. Um, so it kind of took them took took the risk down a few notches to spend our own money to develop a show.
1: Right. Yeah, and you get a chance to do, like, the second coming of Jim Henson and Sesame Street, like, with the resources I mean, of... I mean, how yeah. do you say no to that?
2: Yeah, no, for us, it was the reach. Netflix took Storybots to 190 countries, translated it, um, dubbed it in 35 languages. I mean, That's- the opportunity to create something that entertains and educates parents and kids in 190 countries in 35 languages, it's... Um, you know, we still we're still pinching ourselves. It's an, just an incredible opportunity to uh, you know do something that hopefully brings a little good to the world.
1: Yeah, it's a hell of a thing. Um, me, like, are you guys thinking of like? Are you already looking at Web three and NFTs and and those technologies?
2: Oh yeah, hundred percent. I think you know we we're, we're we're we've always been fascinated with new technology and and how you can build IP. And there's no doubt, like. This opens up a whole new path for creators to develop properties, to own them, and not only that, but to engage a community in the development of those properties in a way that's never been really possible before. Not only engage them, uh, uh, you know, from a, a creative standpoint, which can be a little bit harder, right? There's a, like, how open can you be when you're trying to create something with a singular voice? Very hard. I mean, a lot of people doing a lot of experimentation with storytelling uh, in web three, um, you know, I know how hard it is to tell like a longer form story and the idea of crowdsourcing that is, um, you know, is, is challenging, but, uh, but on the idea of like, being able to incentivize people in your community who are supporting you to actually be a part of its long-term success is really exciting.
1: Yeah, I agree. Um, before we wrap up, I just wanted to rewind a little bit back to Jim Jack because I think it's an important piece of internet history. Uh, and especially now that Flash isn't a thing anymore, yeah. right? like, you, like you, Apple's got rid of it, like, do you often think about its place in the story of the internet? Like, do you often stop and look back and go, because that was that was a pretty big moment. Like, that was something that was you know involved in the presidential election coverage, and so sure. I, I think it sh- it shouldn't go unremarked, right? Like how how impactful this was when when your brother and yourself both put out the cartoon. Like, do you often think back to that? Um, you know, I, I look forward, I
2: don't I don't spend a lot of time thinking back, but I'm, I feel just so fortunate to have come of age professionally at a time when the internet was brand new, and there were no platforms controlling distribution, and how far and how wide you were able to distribute your content depended on the quality of that content as opposed to controlled platforms and algorithms and so i often look back and think wow that was really cool we saw this we saw it was an opportunity people thought jib jab when we did this land is your land in 04 was an overnight success we'd actually been working at it for almost five years at that point we're about to say maybe the internet never will be used for entertainment but um that's what excites me it's those it's the new it's it's those you know untapped opportunities that technology isn't opening up to tell stories so I don't look back on it often, but I think I look. We, we look at the world the same way going forward.
1: I like that. Now, before I get to my last question, where can we find you? Where where can we check out the show? Obviously, Netflix it would be the Yeah, sure. Year. You can go on
2: Netflix. You can go on YouTube uh, to set up uh, or to uh, check out everything we're doing on the StoryBots front. You can go to uh, my Twitter, uh, at 3GS, uh, 3Gs, because I'm G-R-E-G-G, uh, or, uh, yeah, or a good old LinkedIn.
1: And my last question for you is one I ask everybody. It's What's one thing you've always wanted to be asked in an interview that you just haven't been asked yet?
2: Um, That's a really good question. Um, You know, one of the things in the Storybots universe is, you know, would you do that again? Could you do that again? Because I talk to a lot of people who want to develop kid shows and you know, they want to take our playbook. And that's that's I guess one thing I would say is the playbooks don't age well, right? Where where are these where are these platforms, where are these technologies in their life cycle? Um, it would be crazy to spend millions of dollars financing a series a season one of a show you want to do with the hopes of distributing on Netflix. I'm not saying it's impossible. But now, you know, when we did it, it was a it was a wide open pipe that needed content. And now it, and it had no studio. And now it's a traditional studio with development execs and a, and a big pipeline of content. So never look at someone else's playbook and, you know, from years ago and think you could still do it. You kind of always got to, uh, you've always got to be thinking ahead and innovating on, on your
5: strategy. This is Greg Goldstein. And I'm the applause sign operator here at Weiwo TV. But turning this cute little sign on is only a small part of what I do with the show. I also pay the bills. So if you like what you just heard, and you want to hear more episodes of Weiwo TV, let me share with you how I make the money to pay those bills. Knock, knock. Who's there? Broken pencil.
6: Broken pencil who?
2: Never mind, there's no point. <laughs>
6: Did you know that laughter is a distinctive human characteristic meant to help calm us down? You see, the business of marketing may be ever-changing, but people have been documented trying to make each other laugh since ancient Greece. That's why, at That Funny Agency, we're more than just digital marketing professionals with years of big agency experience. We're also professional comedians, artists, actors, writers, and musicians who have a unique insight into the science of happiness. At our digital marketing agency, we use our innate humor to bring people closer together. Customer to business, collaborator to client, friend to friend. It's almost like funny is our middle name. Oh wait, it is. So come laugh with us, journey with us, grow with us at thatfunnyagency.com. We're That Funny Agency. Strategic 360 degree digital marketing by unapologetically funny people.
5: That's it for this episode of Waywo TV. Our announcer, editor, and producer is Jonathan Ingram. Additional editing is provided by Andrew Van Borges, and those dulcet tones you hear are those of Rosie Tran, Crix Lee, Colton Hagen, and Elise Randall Monica. And of course, our show is hosted. By Mr. BJ Mendelson, recording at the George Carlin Podcast Studio. So folks, stay strong, stay safe, and stay sexy. Thanks for listening.
1: Okay, your 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 middle
5: name is Macho. But uh I'm wondering if you ever cry. You ever has Macho man ever cried? Oh yeah. Really? Uh-huh. It's okay for macho men to show every emotion available right there, you know, because I've cried a thousand times, I'm going to cry some more, but I've soared with the eagles, and I've slithered with the snakes, and I've been everywhere in between, and I'm going to tell you something right now. There's one guarantee in life, and that there are no guarantees, yeah, and... understand this (laughs) nobody likes a quitter nobody said life was easy so if you get knocked down take the standing eight count get back up and fight again
3: did you enjoy today's show if you did please take a minute and leave us a review yes we know you're busy and every podcast asks you to do this but there's a good reason they do because every time you leave a review that review helps more people find and listen to the show and you know what that means for you more great episodes of Weiwo.tv. So what are you waiting for? Take out your phone and leave us a review right now before you move on to something else and forget about us. And we'll see you next time, right?